0: In a certain sense, when we pray, we're participating in the in the work of God and He's using our prayers also to accomplish his purposes. And I love verse three of Psalm one ten talks about the volun he will have his volunteers on the day of his power. And those volunteers, of course, are the believers and, and, and Christians. We have access to his throne of grace, and he is working out his mighty and and powerful. Uh, Grace in our world. Psalm 110, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to my Lord, this was the Father saying to the Son, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. uh, Prayer is one aspect of that. And then we come to Colossians 2, or Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4. These are called Christian graces, and prayer is one of those graces that God has given us. Continue earnestly in prayer, or you could say fervently. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Verses 3 and 4. In the day of God's power, volunteers... You notice that in the book of Colossians, how does Paul address the believers? You know who came out of sinfulness, a life of sinfulness, and Christ put on the new clothes on them? He calls them God's elect, holy, and beloved. Normal people, normal Christians, <laughs> but saved by grace in Christ. And, you know, Christ says, you know, you're mine. You belong to me. I'm going to dress you in new clothes as well. You are the apple of mine eye. And what are those new clothes we saw that a few weeks ago? Right? Tender mercies. Kindness. If you look at back to 3 verses 12 to 14. Humility. Meekness. Long-suffering. Forgiving one another. And then above all these things, it's kind of like, it's the overcoat it's the coat that covers all the other clothing, love. Without that, you have, no, you have none of those clothes. Okay, these are really the, the clothes of Christ's salvation. Well, as believers, by faith and in His strength, what do we do? Christ gives those clothes to us. He says, put them on. It's the day of salvation Wear them. You are identified by me living in this world. You are a force, the force of the gospel. And what he shows here is that these clothes that we wear ought to manifest itself in all our relationships. And then from verses 15 on towards the end of the chapter, how do these new clothes manifest itself in the relationships that he spells out between members within the body of Christ, within marriage, within families, between parents and children, particularly fathers and children, and then finally in the workplace. And God spells out very clearly what it means to wear these new clothes, how that looks like in these relationships. All the world says, oh, you guys are old, old old-fashioned. That belongs to the past. But this is ever new and beautiful and that's what he spells out here those verses tell us how how to wear those new clothes that god has given us and by his spirit as by his spirit he's renewing us to become more and more conformed to the image of christ that shows in these relationships particularly you know these verses tell us how and by god's spirit we want what god wants don't we although our sinful nature doesn't, but by God's spirit He's renewing us. With Paul, we would say, we want what God wants. And how do we know what he wants? He says in the Bible, in the word of God. Notice what 3 verse 15 said, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's what's going to help us to know what to pray for and how to pray according to the word. People who don't know the word, you know, suffer in their prayer life. It's really true. But as you know the word, right, we're taught to know what to pray for and how to pray. And the prayer life becomes more and more rich because we pray back God's word to him. And that leads us to this command in Colossians 4 verse 2. It follows after all these relationships spelled out. And he begins by saying, continue earnestly in prayer. I think the NIV has a translation devote yourselves to prayer when we're praying what do we show we show that we are humbly depending on him on Christ for strength for courage for guidance in our lives as believers also in our lives of fellow believers in our trials, in our joys, in our troubles, and in our temptations. You know, it's a command. But you know, even, a, even though it's a command, it's almost like an invitation. Paul says, you know, you have opportunity to participate, to partner with Christ through your prayers as He is accomplishing great and wonderful things in the world, His mighty deeds of salvation. You pray. You have access to the throne. No believers do. I'm sorry. No unbelievers have that access. Of any other religion, they have no access to God's throne. Oh, you shall be volunteers in the day of His power. That day has come. The day of His power. And you know, we can go to Him as believers with all our needs. He knows your needs. And in changing lives with the gospel, What does Christ bring? He brings order out of chaos, beauty out of ashes. He brings peace out of hostility, and he reconciles broken relationships. All that is spelled out in Colossians chapter 1. Read it again. It's just amazing how Christ is bringing the universe back together again. And now Paul says to the Church of Colossae, man, I thank God, I'm always praying for you. And he's always praying because he knows he can participate in this beautiful, um, in, the, in, in, this, in this work of God through prayer. And now in verse 4-2, he says, but I also want you to pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. And we see two things here. You know, it's kind of like you live in a garden, and you have these watchtowers with these signals There's danger all the way around. And that's what we're going to see. First of all, we're called to be watchful in prayer. Christ is on his throne, no doubt, but it doesn't mean that's the end of of dealing with our sinful natures. (laughs) Right? But be watchful in prayer. That's verse 2. And then verse 3 and 4 is be kingdom focused in your prayers. Often our prayers are about me, myself, you know, our concerns for me and my family. But and there's no problem with that. But what we're going to see in a moment, Paul was kingdom focused. His prayers were big because he understood prayer. Verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer. Being how? Being vigilant in it. What does it mean to be vigilant? It means to be on the alert. It means to watch, pay attention, take care. And this is no, comes from nowhere strange, because even think back to Jesus in the Gospels, right? In two ways, he calls us to watchfulness. One way is, you know, watching for his return. Be ready. Watch. He will return. Another way is, in times of temptation, be careful. Be alert. Right? Remember what Jesus said in the garden, Right? Uh, you know, watch lest you fall into temptation, and I think that's more the sense here in Colossians chapter four. Uh, be vigilant in prayer. In other words, keep your eyes open. What's going on around you? And for that, you really need to know the scriptures. We need to to grow in the scriptures. We need to know the truth of the scriptures, because by then you can you can uh, discern and see and watch an even better in a better way. Yes, be aware. Paul would be the first one to say, be aware of the ways of Satan. Because Satan, you know, he's got the world in his grip already, but, you know, he's really very unhappy that he's lost his grip on Christians, on believers. And he'll try every which way, where God is at work, to try to be there at the same time to pull people away from Christ. And then, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can sometimes become lax, eh? And, and, and we become a little bit careless, distracted. We get pulled this way. We get pulled that way. And then comes the ambush. So, yeah, the danger was already there. What is that. The danger was already there when God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, Remember, he was placed in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend and keep it. That word keep is similar to the word here. There were hostile powers against that which Adam was to be on guard. We know Satan had already fallen. He would already sinned against God. Adam had to be on guard. And Adam was... He, he, he did not guard his inheritance as he should have. We know that he was duped, craftily led astray, disobeyed, fell into sin. And the hostile power just left a path of destruction in his wake. The misery that comes from sin. Horrible. You read that in Genesis chapter 3. And yet God, being so merciful, keeping his promise... Right? Keeping his promise of Christ in Genesis chapter 3. What does he do again? He delivers man from Satan's power. How? By raising up Israel. Israel was God's people, his church, right? A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And yeah, he brought them into the new Eden. right? The new Garden of Eden, which was the land of Canaan. That was the land of their inheritance, a picture, of course, of the inheritance that believers receive when Christ returns, a new heaven and a new earth. Jerusalem was God's city. It was a picture of the church. And what did God do? God posted watchmen on the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Again, the powers of Satan broke in. Why? Because God's people were not vigilant. And therefore, you see, the house of God was in ruins, decimated. That's the church in the land of Canada, for the most part. It's a church decimated in ruins, having adopted the culture of our society. Paul says to the Colossians, don't you be that way. Be on guard, be vigilant be, be vigilant in prayer, be alert. Your opposition. Satan has many fine tricks of working. <laughs> that shouldn't make us scared, though. Just be aware. Fine tricks of working, right? Through the world, through our sinful nature. It's real, it's constant. He never takes a break. Works 24-7, Satan and the powers of evil. And therefore, no wonder Paul says, to the Colossians, You're small in a big, bad city, big, wicked city, but you be vigilant and be vigilant at all times. What are those ways we are to be watchful in prayer? And I think maybe it's best to go back to the examples of the relationships that were previous to this in Colossians chapter three. Remember the four areas of relationships. The one, of course, is in the garden of God. The church is the garden of God today on the earth. Not the perfect garden, but it is nonetheless God's garden, not man's garden. And God is working mightily and raising up that garden. And so in prayer, we must be watchful among ourselves as members in Christ's body. You know one thing Satan loves to do in the church? He loves to cause trouble. And he loves to disturb the peace in God's garden. And that's why, if you look back in verse 15, Apostle Paul reminds the the Colossians, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule where? In your hearts. That's where the trouble begins. You know? get rid of that trouble by repenting and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called as one body. Yeah, this peace comes through reconciliation in Jesus Christ. doesn't mean we never stop battling those forces, but it's a reminder, isn't it? Let the peace of Christ rule among us as members, one another. There's more. You could add, we could say one more thing from verse 16. You know, Lately, and especially it's been uh, hitting me more lately, um, so many people talk about Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. And so many people talk about the experiences of the Holy Spirit. But they don't crack open the Bible. They keep their Bibles closed. What is that? That's Christianity? No, that's not Christianity? Christianity is centered on the Bible, learning the Bible, reading the Bible, growing in the truths of Scripture. That's why Paul says in verse 16, he says, He says there, um, let's see if I can find my place again. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Okay, the peace of Christ. The word of Christ. Any church that is not word centered, that doesn't teach the scriptures, teach the Bible, is on very dangerous territory. Right? Satan is there to ambush. You know, that's why God gives elders to the church. It's his garden. They're his watchmen. May it be with us, as Paul said to the Church of Colossae, he says, I rejoice, if you look back at 2, verse 5, I rejoice to see your good order and your steadfastness in your faith. Second place, in prayer, be watchful in your marriage relationships. Wow. If there's any attacks against marriage today, I mean, if there's any attack today from Satan, you see it very much against marriage from all sides, from adultery to pornography to acceptance of the the sickening, perverse sexual ethic that you see in society around us. Where did it all begin? It began with not being on guard on what verse um, 18 and 19 says. Husbands don't love their wives. That's where it begins, as they should. And wives don't submit to their husbands, as they should. When we let that go, look at the results. Look at the consequences. Be vigilant in your marriages. Be vigilant in your marriage relationship. God's order is always the best order. It's the great order. We don't follow it. Abuse comes in. Hurt, division, sadnesses of all kinds. Guard your marriage. Be watchful, be vigilant. Third thing, parents, be watchful in your family and your children. 3 verse 20 and 21. Vigilance in prayer means not sending your children to public schools. I'm amazed that there are Christians who say, I'm sending my kids to a public school. To let them go there and then pray? No, we have to be diligent in the Word and pray. Vigilance means guarding. Otherwise, we're courting disaster. Vigilance in prayer means guarding the hearts of your children in Christ Jesus. The minds, the eyes of the children that God has entrusted to your little garden. Your home is your garden, it's your garden of Eden. Be watchful, be vigilant. Don't let children rule, don't let teens rule. No, God gave mom and dad to be the authority in the family. Children, be watchful. Be vigilant. That's the call. And finally, in prayer, be watchful of your conduct in the workplace. And I hear it more often. It becomes very, very difficult for Christians, too, with more companies requiring agreement and compliance to sensitivity training. Of course, nothing wrong with being sensitive, but the kind of things are requiring a sensitivity training, we have to be on guard. You get the double finger. He takes the hand. He takes the hand. He takes your heart. Just be vigilant. I'm not going to tell you what you should do and not do in this case here. But be vigilant in prayer. Trusting in God. You're with him. Raised in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In all these areas, what does Satan seek to do? He wants to bring hurt. He wants to bring trouble. He wants to separate. He wants to divide. He wants to bring chaos. He wants to bring ugliness. He wants to bring destruction. Be watchful in prayer. Paul knows that the believers in in Colossae were battling with the, remember the sins of the old clothes. Back in 3 verses 5 through 8, those sins of the old clothes, remember what those sins were? He tells them, put it off. Those are the battles they're facing. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Okay, sexual sins, that's what they're dealing with. But also um, speech sins, sins of of speaking, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. We know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied. God killed them. They were springing, spoiling into his garden. Be vigilant in prayer. That's why Paul says, put those things to death. Put all of these to death. And even if you have broken all of these in your life, even if your life is a mess, know that the beautiful thing about Christ is he says, you come back to me. There's forgiveness. There is assurance that your sins are forgiven, when we confess, when we turn away from them. And by grace, we begin new again. Christ says, here they are. Here's the new clothes. Put them back on. Let's begin. Let's go forward in faith. Let's go forward in this strength. And you know, we're going to see verses 5 through 6. Sometimes, you know, the lives that were very, very messy, God changes them. What a beautiful testimony to the community around us. Look what God has done. Look how he has answered the prayers of his people. Be vigilant in prayer. No, Paul is not saying be afraid of what's around you. That's not how we should pray. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. He says let those things not be your motivation, but pray with thanksgiving. <laughs> Who's on the throne? Who can conquer? Who can bring things right? Pray with thanksgiving. It's all a gift of grace. We're going to sing in a moment. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who can all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Those are... Such comforting words to know when we blow it, when we make a mess of things, yeah. we go back. Think about all the times we worry or are afraid or are anxious. Imagine those times that we worry or anxious or afraid. We turn it into a prayer of thanksgiving. Just to remind ourselves, oh, I should turn this into a prayer of thanksgiving. How can I do that? And God gives the grace for that. By having the word dwell in you richly, you develop what you could say spiritual antennae. And what do spiritual antennae pick up? They pick up the signals of danger all the more quickly when God's word is richly inside of you. Your diligence in prayer, you find, becomes fuller, richer, more watchful. And that leads us, and briefly, to the second point a kingdom focused prayer. Meanwhile, says Paul, praying also for us, us here refers to Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, or sorry, Epaphras, Epaphras. he says, pray also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What does it mean he's in chains? He's in prison. Notice that? What does Paul pray for? He doesn't pray to be released from chains. He doesn't say, "Please pray that I get out of prison." No. there's nothing wrong with praying for that. What, what's uppermost in Paul's mind? Pray that God open a door for the Word. He doesn't pray for an open door to his prison, but pray that God would open a door for the word. Now this does not mean other things don't matter. Every matter is important to the Lord. The personal matters in life. They're important to pray for, no doubt. But it's likely even there the congregation of Colossae may have prayed for Paul's release. They probably did. They probably prayed for his safety. They probably prayed for his physical needs. But for Paul, it's interesting. No doubt he's thankful they're praying for him. But for Paul, he says, what's uppermost in his mind? It's the kingdom. The kingdom of God. It's so big. And the kingdom is what really matters because that's of eternal consequence. Everything else either serves it or goes against it. And so the kingdom is big for Paul. You know, sometimes, and I find that in myself too, sometimes our prayers tend to be um, me, me me-focused or I-centered rather than God-centered. And yet, you know, the pattern that Christ has given us in Lord's prayer is, it's all about God, first of all. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Oh, and by the way, my needs. (laughs) Right? Daily bread, forgiveness, at least not the temptation. But those things are fought when the best, when God is centered. Yes. Troubles swell often because we do not on his kingdom dwell. See that again. Troubles swell often because we do not dwell on his kingdom. You know, the aim in praying for personal matters in life is not that God helps us serve ourselves. (laughs) But the aim is that we may serve him better in his kingdom. That's the first thing there. Selfless. Selfless in the service of the gospel. That's not just Paul, but all Christians. Paul said, Paul's saying that too. Pray for us. Second thing is, in that same phrase, he prays that God would open to us a door for the word. You know, man can't open the doors. You can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach, but there's no way by our art of speaking, by our persuasion, by singing, blessed be the tie that binds, The most beautiful songs, none of that can open a person's heart. Only God. God must open the Word. They'll open the doors for the Word if it's going to achieve His purpose. And that's why Paul says, Pray for us. Pray for us. That God opens the door for His Word. Because only He can. Only He can open the door of a man, of a woman's, of a child's heart to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to humble himself because of his sins and to bring him to a right relationship with God. I think in our enthusiasm, we sometimes think if we get the strategy right, and we learn to be relevant, then our preaching will have impact. But the reason Paul prays that God would open the door for the word is because Paul knows that the door to the word by nature is tightly shut. It's tightly bolted. The darkness is thick. Alienation is extreme. Hostility is intense. Wow, only God can open the door of the tightly shut human heart. And so the strategy Paul sets forth is pray. Yeah, pray for your pastor as he prepares, proclaims God's word. Pray for the missionaries. You see them in the bulletin. Pray for those who bring God's word. Pray for them. Because as you're praying, you're also praying, right? Partnering, or you could say participating in the kingdom work of God doing his work of opening hearts. He accomplishes things through prayer. Prayer is the strategy, is the biggest strategy as the word is faithfully preached. Teach your family, teach your children to pray, to pray for the pastor, to pray for the missionaries, to pray for the word as it's proclaimed. Because that's central, isn't it? The opening of hearts, the opening of minds the hearts may receive, the eyes may see, that ears may be unplugged, that there may that be that joy of salvation, that more may enter into that new garden. The word is at work. Paul says it's God who opens the door, and that's why he pray. He prays that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He says, I want to be clear. I want to be bold. I want to be faithful. You know, and that's what all God requires, that we be faithful And leave the results to him. Because he's the one who persuades the heart. Someone once said this way. Preaching is the most shattering. Most earth shattering activity on the earth. It's greater than an earthquake. It's greater than a tsunami. Because only the word can do what no one else. What no natural catastrophe can do. And that's change a life. That's the word. Those new clothes of Christ gives us. Our tender mercies. Kindness humility, forgiveness, and love. But you notice those new clothes do not contradict the clothes that Apostle Paul speaks about in Ephesians 6. And there are pictures of the believer as a soldier, as an infantryman. There is pictures of the church as an army equipped with what? With the belt, with the breastplate, the boots, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. What does that mean? It pictures the church armed with the truth against falsehood and deceit. Righteousness, good news of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. And then Paul says the same thing as he does in Colossians chapter four. Praying with all prayer. Be watchful to this end. Putting on the armor. Putting on Jesus' clothes. That's what it means to be vigilant in prayer. <laughs> That's what it, sh- it will show that. It will show the vigilance. And beautiful thing that Christ is the one who gives it. And by faith, we put it on and we move forward. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful in prayer. Be attentive. And so live in the joy of your salvation. Focusing on the things that really matter. Christ. And his kingdom. I like what one author says. He says, Men may mock our appeals. They may reject our message. They may despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. And so these words from Psalm 27, beautiful words, Psalm 27, 1, 2, and 3. You know the access that believers have. It says here, read Psalm 27, 1, to 3 in closing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against to eat my my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. Amen.